When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt, L.A. Nick, Alex Brandt, Bernard Rasmussen, and Andy Brandt Bernard. Michael Bryant will rejoin us. He just had to take a phone call. Special guest coming. Up. Uh, Balserski, is that how you say his name? I would guess so. Bol- Balserski? Balserski. I think. Thomas Balserski, I believe that's how you say his name. Presidents who snubbed their successors. <laughs> this this ought to be pretty good. We'll uh, be back with our special guest and Michael Bryant right after this. Walls Automotive Group, Walls.com, and Doug Sprinthal. Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking, so when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, and it's got Pro Pilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right, be like Andy and Melissa, and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. There it is. There's the delay. Yep. And so you get a, about a 30 second delay with it. It gets worse as you go. Especially since it was Amazing Grace. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> That's <worst>. true. <laughs> Is Thomas ready to go? Yep. Thomas Bolserski, ladies and gentlemen. Presidents who snubbed their successors. Uh, great day for this, of course. Uh, Donald Trump left. He's already uh, apparently at uh, Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He already landed and is, is at Mar-a-Lago. We have a new president, Joseph Robinette Biden, the uh, second or junior. Uh, Thomas, it's been what now? According according to your stats, it's only been about 150 years since uh, somebody snubbed their successor. So, you know, it's about time for it to happen again, don't you think? <laughs> That's one way to look at it, yeah. It's the only way you can look at it. I, Thomas, though, uh, your your situation uh, as far as, you know, in your life, a native of New Jersey, Thomas Balserski yeah. received his Ph.D. in history from Cornell University and is presently a professor of history at Eastern Connecticut State University. Why do you get to live at Eastern Connecticut State University? That's a great spot. <laughs> Willimantic, Connecticut, the quiet corner. Well, Mantic. Yeah, the, that's right. That's right. The quiet corner of Connecticut. I like that. So, uh, we've seen in the newspapers this morning, and we saw it uh, on the uh, internet newspaper sites this afternoon that this is the worst time that anybody's taken over the presidency in history. And oh my God! And they, they always, of course, throw in arguably before it. <laughs> This is nowhere near as bad as it's been throughout our history. I wouldn't imagine. With weren't both World War One and the Spanish Flu were both present in 1917 and 18, weren't they? Well, actually, the, the Spanish influ- Spanish Flu, the Great Influenza, we call it, began 1918. So it was already after uh, the second term where Woodrow Wilson came into office. I think part of right. what, where historians are reaching is at the moment of an inauguration of a new president. Uh-huh. So, so that never happened in the Great Depression? It never happened uh, with any of these, huh? I think uh, in terms of the pandemic, that's, I guess that's the first basis for comparison. No, we haven't seen a pandemic like this really in the history of the world since 1918-19, and this coronavirus right, pandemic right. is reminiscent of that. But in terms of the economic crisis, absolutely. The Great Depression was a far worse economic crisis than the one we're facing now, and indeed had higher unemployment, a much more poverty and despair, and that was, of course, the transition from Herbert Hoover to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Right, exactly. So that's what I was going to say. I just there, there are a lot of people. A lot of people are like, oh, it's the worst ever. It's not the worst ever. It might be comparable in a way, but not the worst ever. Yeah, there's no apt comparison in, in a sense to what Joe Biden's facing because it's so many different crises at once, drawing from really from an American right. history perspective, so many different moments. I think the other one would be are the moment of racial division that we face as a nation as well. I think that that harkens back to other presidential inaugurations, and certainly thinking back to the inauguration of Abraham Lincoln in 1861, a nation divided over right. the issue of slavery. Yep. One of the one of the things that I, I saw that you did a recent uh, interview about was that the things that you called for that should be in this speech. Uh, did he did he hit? How many of those did he hit? I think he hit. Quite frankly, them all. I, I was trying to time it. About 22 minutes, it was an incredible speech. He, he used, for, for one thing, the kind of call and response that I had hoped he would. He, he sort of iterated certain phrases and terms, and that's one way to keep things memorable, but also stirring. Uh, there's a couple lines that I think stood out in the speech for me, and as a Civil War historian, when he invoked, we must end this uncivil war, I think it was a nice reference right. to, first of all, 
see the difference between, say, 1861 and the present, but also to try to put a, a term on, on, on our current situation. And the other part was about democracy. He talked about uh, democracy going through a test, but he said we prevailed, democracy prevailed. So there was a kind of stirring message there. I thought it was clear-eyed in, in, in its approach. It, was, it, it didn't it sugarcoat anything, and yet it was optimistic and, and forward-looking. You know, Thomas, the one thing I would say, and, I, and I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I'm very centrist, as a matter of fact. I like some parts of both parties, but I don't care for either party as a whole. But the, the thing that I don't like about this whole thing, and I'm not trying to let Donald Trump off the hook at all here, because I, I, I didn't even vote for Donald Trump. I voted for Tulsi Gabbard, which then she, of course, wanted Assange released. But, you know, other than that, <laughs> um, but, but I didn't even vote for him, so that's not what I'm saying here. But when they talk about this division that Donald Trump brought to us, well, you impeached him the second he took his first breath. I think you all, I'm not saying he, he should be off the hook, but all of them did it. Yeah, the division They, all, they started sides. going after you. <laughs> It comes from all sides, and it happened right away. Comes, it's still coming. Like the, <laughs> yeah, it's still coming too. So that's the only part about Thomas I don't like is all of you need to take responsibility for how rough this last four years has been. Donald Trump did not handle it well. He got worse and worse, as a matter of fact. But they all took part in the in this horrible climate we're in right now, don't you think? I, at, at this point, we're a nation that divided now as we were four years ago. I think that's one thing I, I took away from the results of the votes. I mean, as a kind of historian, we look at things like yeah. margins and voter turnout. Um, if anything, what's promising, what's different about 2020 and 2021 is more people care. I think that's right. the promising right. part here, that it's, it's woken up a lot of people, Tom. Good. See, I'm, and that's great to hear. That's exactly why I asked you that question. We all need to wake up, and that includes we centrists. We need to wake up to both sides and say, hey, well, you know, let's work on the good sides, uh, the good parts of both sides. But this, I mean, this is not all-star wrestling. they got to calm down with that whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's actually a really nice analogy. And listening to Thank the inauguration you. earlier and, and looking at the text again, I, I would confirm that Biden really actually also used another nice analogy, and that is every political battle doesn't need to be an all-out war. So I think, you know, he's actually Love it. maybe Love right it. at the point where you are, Tom. Yeah, his, I think, I'm hoping. Historically, have, have we had, it, when you look at, at the Obama eight years, there are a number of people who walked away from that feeling like they got left left out that we're hoping for more things to happen and i gotta believe there are going to be a number of trump people that that were hoping that things were going to happen if we ever had a back-to-back presidency like this where you know we've had so many new people come into the process but i think overall in both cases we're disappointed in a lot of things that happened if you look at it from just even uh the perspective of the last 12 years it's going to be obama Trump, Biden. And for my money, that's going to be the era of to yet be named uh, this, this what we'll, we'll hope, a 16 or 20 year period of these three presidents. I was uh, sort of chuckling on uh, the, the days after the election when none other than Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill, tweeted this wonderful <laughs> image. That's right. That's right. Star Wars, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. So maybe we're, maybe we're in the third chapter of a trilogy. And if that's the case, the story is still unfolding. It's not, it's not yet finished. We don't really have our ending yet. Hmm. Uh, so it's definitely difficult to be in the middle of historic times. As a historian, I'd much rather study 
this kind of stuff than live through it. Yeah, I, I, I could certainly understand that. We, I think we can make it. America is a very strong country. I, I don't understand this outrageous anger that people that people are allowed to be as angry as they are. Look, you can you be upset, but that over-the-top violent anger has got to stop today. No more. That's a fair point. I, it, it, that's why I look at that man on the stage. He's our oldest president. He's been in politics longer yep. than I think any president before him. It's going to be hard to hate that man on the stage we saw today. That, that's maybe one silver lining here, we mm-hmm. have a, a, an empath in chief, someone who cares deeply and who feels deeply. Yeah, I, we, we can only hope. That's, see, that's the whole deal. Uh, Joe Biden is our president now. I'm a centrist, so I will, I will follow along. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, We have to pay the bills. That's the number one thing for me, Thomas, in, and, mm-hmm. and probably for everybody. We got some bills coming due in the next 18 months. Oh, I hope we can handle it. That's all. What do you think? Do you think we can handle the economic crisis we have coming? Yeah, in this moment of inauguration, we sometimes forget just um, what it's going to be like for everyday Americans under a new administration. Right. And the thing that they look at most is, how is their wallet going to fare? Will I be better off economically? The famous question that Ronald Reagan posed when he was trying to make his historic campaign against Jimmy Carter the last time, uh, another time rather, when an incumbent was defeated. And so you're so right. One thing that need, one thing the Democratic Party would need to try to enact a legislative agenda is control of both houses of the Congress, which made those two Senate runoff elections in Georgia so critical. And they, too, mm-hmm. were decided by very tight margins. And yet we have a 50-50 Senate now with the new vice president, Kamala Harris, being the tiebreaker. It would seem to me, at least, if the coalition of the Democratic Party can stay together, you'll be able to see legislation pass. And the one that mm-hmm. um, that both senators in Georgia want to pass, and to your point, Tom, is more stimulus money. It's been, um, I think, too little for, for many Americans. And $600 twice, that's a pittance. Uh, we, we lag behind mm-hmm. all major industrialized nations in terms of the response to our citizenry to this coronavirus pandemic. And I'm pleased to know 1400 is what's coming next, and I hope there's more still. The only problem we have with that, of course, for every six hundred dollars, the payback on it is twenty three hundred. So, if we do go with the uh, the two thousand, the payback on that's going to be over ten thousand dollars per person. That's going to be tough. That's going to be very, very tough. Yeah, it's as, it's as, as if on cue. Suddenly, we worry now about the national debt again, and I feel this is part of <laughs> yeah, what, exactly. You know, yeah, look, the, the, President Trump saw the largest increase in the deficit under any president, and he faced the difficult mm-hmm. economic times of the last year. So there's that to, to point to. But yeah, deficit spending is a reality of, frankly, the last five presidents since President Clinton balanced the budget uh, that one, one right. year in his second term. I, I think that's part of what a lot of people have also caused for concern. Are we ultimately bankrupting our nation by these kinds of economic spending programs? And yet, do right. we get five this winter if we don't do it? Boy, there's so many things to talk about here today, Thomas, and I don't want to drive you nuts with the whole situation, but <laughs> but but I, I, I would like to just make a point, and, and the only way I can really make it right now, because it's it's very severe, is the racial issues going on in America, where pe- I hear people referring to America as the most racist country on earth. Do your studies, because we are nowhere near as racist as most places in the world. Not even close. 
So I really wish they wouldn't say things. Yes, we have problems. We have things that need to be taken care of. There's no question about that. All people, the one thing I have against that, Thomas, and then I'll shut up, I promise, is Martin Luther King Jr. did say, do not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Well, what are we doing? We just picked a different group of people and we're going after their skin color. It's a really bad idea. Really bad. Yeah, just three days after the 35th, uh, it's rather two days after the 35th uh, total Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, only the 35th time it was passed in 1985, the federal holiday, uh, we, we right. still should be uh, working towards the aims that Dr. King set out. And I was, was just to see yep. some reflection on that this year. Um, I, I think that the, the question of the problem of race in this country is historic, and that's why I take the, the view of we've been battling with these demons since the, the introduction of slavery as an economic system in the colonial days. Right. So it's part of a legacy, and I think for those of us alive in 2020 who aren't racist, don't have a racist bone in our body, we say to ourselves, what is it we personally can do? It's something I wrestle with with my students in a classroom in Connecticut where I have students from all around the state who look mm-hmm. at, and walk at different walks of life and, and come together and learn in an integrated fashion, it's kind of the dream Dr. King wanted, and that's where I, I ultimately find myself saying it's about education. Why don't you run for president, Thomas? What's the matter with you? <laughs> don't I get to teach I can history agree. for a while longer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you teach history a little while longer, but then I four have years. somebody to vote for. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, four more years. Tommy B., you can be the second. You and I are both Tommy B. You can take over the title Tommy B. as president of the United States. It would be wonderful. Yeah, and, and you probably remember the Chris Farley movie, uh, Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. Tommy Boy. Yes, I certainly do, because my <laughs> name is Tommy Boy, too, so it all works out in the end. <laughs> Thomas, why do you think it is that, now you've been studying history your entire life. You have a great interest in history, I'm, I'm certain, correct? Oh, yes. Why do you have such a clear understanding when most people read a history book, I don't know what they take away from it. It's like, well, that's not what the book said at all. I've read the book, and that's not at all what the book... Why do people get such a different view of what it actually says? It's a good point. Um, there's the, the debate over the meaning, ultimately, of American democracy is a debate about history. And I, what I heard today in, the, in Biden's inaugural address was really a history lesson. It was trying to take episodes in our history and to piece them together. I think it's because history doesn't always tell a story. If history can't yeah. tell a story effectively, if it can't be a narrative of events, if it can't connect the dots, people get lost. And I don't blame them. I think we as a discipline, if I may say, have to do a better job of reaching out. And, and this, lately, why this past year I've been writing for, for a general public, I've been appearing on television and radio, because I want to try to communicate this message. Well, you're doing a great job, Thomas. I'm very, very impressed with you because you... You know what you're talking about. You're very even keel. We need a lot more even keel people, Thomas, don't you think? <laughs> well, there's a metaphor that he a lot of laughs. people are present <laughs> and that's the ship of state. No, I, I chuckle because I, I keel. I go to a boat, and I mm. think about Washington talking about the ship of state, and I say, yeah, that's, exactly, that's absolutely right. It's the right metaphor. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I just uh, I need to take a quick break. You, we you have uh, we have you for another half hour, do we not? I think I'm around. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Thomas Balserski is our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. Presidents who snubbed their successors. We'll talk a lot more about that. We get more takes from people. Uh, L.A. Nixon Studio, Michael Bryanson Studio, Andy and Alex, and we'll be right back more with Thomas right after this. 
Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO from North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, you work with many different types of businesses. Can you tell me about one of them? Absolutely. Real Fishing was started by a young entrepreneurial couple here in the Twin Cities. They offer guided fishing services during the open water season and ice house rentals in the winter. They came to us with a great idea for their business, but not a lot of experience in getting one off the ground. Now that they're up and running, they've told us how much they appreciate that we listen to their ideas for their business and help them work through all of the contingencies that could come. Knowing that we will be here to help them every step of the way with the capital they need. Yeah, they're not going to get that at just any bank. You need Bilski. Tommy, our whole team at all of the branches take pride in providing outstanding customer service and are ready to help our clients when they need us most. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Square, and use promo code TOM, T-O-M. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. He's belting it out, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I know. Thomas Bolserski, our special guest, presidents who snubbed their successors. Uh, you can catch uh, Thomas on Amazon.com. Thomas J. Belserski, B-A-L-C-E-R-S-K-I. We have an uh, L.A. Nick in studio, Michael Bryant, Andy, and Alex. I'm sure you guys have questions. Very interesting guest, Thomas is. Well, Alex left, actually. Oh, she did leave? Don't know where she is. She didn't leave. So did your mother. She didn't leave, leave. She just went to the bathroom. Oh. Mom's gone, too? she'll be back then. Yeah. Well, they're probably both, you know, doing whatever they do. Doing whatever they do. (laughs) But in any case. Indeed. So, Michael, do you have any legal questions for Thomas? Uh, I am interested. You know, you've got examples. What what presidents have not shown up for inaugurals? Yeah, who snubbed too? Yeah, and why? Yeah, and, I want and, dirt. And, and oh gosh, I want to go to John Adams. Um, it, you know, I I, I, was, I remember watching the David McCullough miniseries John Adams on HBO, oh, yeah. which was yeah, it was really quite excellent based on McCullough's best-selling biography of Adams. And there's a scene in, in one of the later episodes where Adams is leaving the White House, and it dramatizes his decision to leave before the inauguration of Thomas Jefferson. And he just, you know, sort of slinks out. He goes into a carriage, which was the, the way in 1801 uh, someone like Adams could have traveled from Washington, D.C., back up to Massachusetts. And people recognized him, and he sort of just turned away and said, I'm a private citizen now. And he, he kind of he set a tradition, though, that, um, you know, 
220 years later, Donald Trump does the same thing. He leaves the morning of his inauguration. So it's, it's quite historic in a way. It, it goes back all the way to the founding fathers. Hmm. No, I find that so no, to be fascinating. No one did it in between? No, they did, because okay. if you're an Adams, you do, you're a chip off the old block. Oh, uh, so we remember John kid. Quincy Adams. <laughs> um, it was John Quincy Adams, the, the son of John Adams, who was the president uh, between 1825 and 1829, when he lost his bid for re-election against Andrew Jackson, another two-term president. John Quincy Adams left the day before, and in fact, in my research, I found out that Martin Van Buren who was president after Jackson, he followed suit. He didn't show up to his, his successor's inauguration. And finally, we had someone like Andrew Johnson, who was Lincoln's vice president. He didn't show up to Grant's inauguration. And I think what they all have in common, what those four have in common, was a deeply divided partisan uh, times in this country where even on the day of inauguration, a successor didn't see fit to come. And, and, and if for anything, for me, that's, that's the echo in our modern times. A lot of alcohol in that group, also. Well, yeah. <laughs> when you go through that group, <laughs> that's nice. And Adams and Jackson were pretty polarizing figures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, especially Jackson, he was pretty polarizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with with Adams back in that day, they were actually shooting each other. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, you L- know, literally, literally <laughs> shooting each other. Yeah. yeah. They so. had they had duels. Mm-hmm. No, that is true. I, well, it just seemed by looking at the time, it, the 1800s uh, were not exactly your even keel time uh, in the country in any case. Heck no. It seems like, no, I, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we've, we've gotten kind of lucky because in, in 1800 through 1829, there was a lot of unrest then. And then, of course, in the 1900s, we already talked about World War One. We talked about the Spanish flu. We talked about this and the other. So 2000, basically, so far, we've been kind of... Relatively okay when you look at uh, the beginning of the the century. You know, relatively not, okay. Not, Obviously, two thousand one was not good. None of us could last a week in the mid eighteen hundreds. Oh God, like, no. We wouldn't last no, a week. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. We just die instantly. I mean, you had a poop. You had a poop in a hole, man. Yeah, yeah you, you sure like, do. None of us would last one week. You sure do. So, I mean, it's a situation where, like I said, I just pointed out, uh, you know, 9-11-2001 was yeah. not a great way to start the the new century. Um, so, 1800, 1900, 2000, why at the beginning of these, these centuries is there so much unrest? What's that all about? It's actually a fascinating question. Maybe there's, uh, we, uh, sitting there uh, partying like it was 1999, we were all worried about the Y2K bug. It turned out there were greater right. in the nation, right? But, but let's not forget that the election of 2000, something which is in our, in our own lifetimes, was another one of these contested elections um, in which everything yeah, hinged right. on the results in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think what's interesting, initially, I thought the 2020 election was going to play out like that, that election or mm-hmm. contested that, that vote in Florida all the way until the day before the Electoral College. And I was really hoping that Donald Trump would do the same thing and finally concede the election right before the Electoral College vote. But when I knew, when I saw that he didn't, we were entering into uncharted, uh, uncharted waters. Yeah. No, that is very true. It just... Uh, but aren't we being taught now that you're a victim and, oh, you, you, you should just worry about your feelings and, oh, it's terrible how you were treated. And everybody thinks they're a victim and, the, and they were treated horribly, so I deserve much more than anybody else does. People are very selfish right now, don't you think? 
Well, it's a culture of narcissism, and we had a narcissist oh, God, for yes. four years, so there's that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, what's interesting about that, Thomas, is that last April I had lunch with Donald Trump. Uh, I I had talked to him before, but I'd never met him. Mm-hmm. We sat mm-hmm. down at lunch. He's nothing like that in person. It's really weird. He's not arrogant. He doesn't put, you know push himself uh, all over you. He does. He's not an expert. He just very soft spoken. You know, he he told me, I yes, I listened to the show, and I, it was nice of you to come over. He could not have been nicer. What is, is that just a, I'm on stage now, so I have to act like a lame brain? I mean, what is that? I, I, I watched the Trump presidency very closely for four years, and I, I agree with you. There were moments, tender moments, that, that sometimes were caught on camera and sometimes weren't uh, with President Trump. Uh, I have a really kind of fond memory of him. Uh, throwing a baseball around on on the south lawn of the White House, and mm-hmm. um, of course, bringing in people to the White House who maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there. I, I think there's certainly the the problem really isn't so much uh, that he wasn't that that person in private or in in these moments of really um, sweetness. It was it was in a way how social media I think inflamed, and you know you don't get to see That's the man true. behind yep. the tweet. The tweet, you know it, this culture became toxic, I think. And, and that, that will be, I think, part of Trump's legacy is how he, uh, he politicized and made uh, really violent the use of Twitter. Well, he, in ways, and I, I don't know how it compares to other presidents, but in ways, he, he didn't seem to understand the power of the words of a president. You know, and I, and I think there's probably examples in the past where there's been presidents that that say things as if they're ordinary people on the on the street. When you say something as president, it has certain powers. If you take on someone, you it has a a way of having more behind it than just you. And I don't. I, I mean, have we had past presidents that that have that kind of I don't know lack of understanding sometimes of their own power. Uh, and history, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's my historical question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, you, you, we've actually we've lived through them all. I mean, there are moments captured on camera which, in today's terminology, go viral and, and puts a puts a kind of um, spotlight on something maybe a president didn't mean to say. Sometimes the power, though, is unexpectedly good. Uh, one of the most kind of memorable lines of George H. W. Bush. Another one-term president, his four years in office, was an impromptu remark he gave to reporters in response in response to Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait. His aggression against Kuwait will not stand. Uh, we thought we're going to quote that for in the history books for a long time. That's something he just said, sort of off the cuff, and it, it did capture the true spirit of H. W. Bush. And it's true that 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 it can go both ways. It can really show the man for who he is and at other times can reveal him to be in the worst possible light. That does happen. I do remember, uh, speaking of George H.W. Bush, our own Senator uh, Wellstone, uh, that very first day charged him with a piece of <laughs> yeah. paper and said, we need to take care of this, we got to do this, we got to do that. And he turned to his aide and said, now who's this son of a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a tape recording. He had a cassette that he gave him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's say, what it was. They say Jackson was one of the most difficult. Like he was a rude, not <laughs> yeah. nice person, man. But we've had but, some but, presidents we that were much more rude it's, than Trump. It's so far be, behind oh, us, God. we don't we don't know about it. Yeah, but he was a terror, like mm-hmm. like 
he said a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. We just there wasn't social media to pick him up. No, well, he was a fighter, and yeah, he, he was yeah, crazy. He, yeah, he was a little bit crazy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. To, to point out the, the similarities between President Trump, and President Jackson is interesting because even in his campaign in 2016, President Trump likened himself to Jackson, and during his four years in the White House, he had that that picture of Andrew Jackson prominently uh, on display in the Oval Office, and when he would give. Uh, press conferences from the Oval Office, you could often see that that picture behind him. Trump considered himself in the same image of Jackson, a populist. And indeed, you're so right, the spotlight on Andrew Jackson, by comparison, was way less yeah. than the spotlight on President Trump these last four years. Wasn't, oh, God, yeah, that's a huge part of didn't it. Didn't Jackson run as a non-politician, too? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, he yeah. ran as like, a politician. Military. He was a military yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm not a politician. Yeah, actually, Jackson, had, he, was, he, was, he was former military, so in that sense, it was for a different tradition. Right. But yeah, he was not very nice. Yeah, Tipper Canoe. No. Tipper Canoe and Tyler, too. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> that, now you guys are just throwing out history's greatest hits here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we really, we, Thomas, we kind of are. There's no question about it. I, I, I was going to say, Thomas, ask not. No, I was not. I was just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> um, moving forward. Uh, now, I should mention this as well, and it might be a situation, looking at your last name, might be the situation with you, too. I grew up a nice Catholic boy in North Minneapolis, and now the second Roman Catholic president. Nowhere near the the upset and anguish and nervousness about the member. The Pope was going to run America after JFK became president. Remember that? Yep. Yeah, no, that's right. Joe Biden is only Catholic. Uh, to become president, and indeed, uh, he's an emotional one. He, he lives his religion and his faith on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think what's interesting between 1960 and 2020 is you're so right. The the fears that a, a, an American politician would take his marching orders from the Pope are long since gone. Um, and yep. I think Biden is a, a far more outwardly devout and religious Catholic than Kennedy, so it actually speaks volumes too to our tolerance now. Yeah, I mean, it's a totally different deal. We we found out that it uh, was not true that uh, JFK was not going to answer the Pope. He was going to answer the Mafia. So it all bounced <laughs> out in the end, you know what I mean? Oh, he answered, <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry. He answered to the Mafia. <laughs> he right? just goes, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I will tell you something, Thomas. My mother adored JFK, a, a Roman Catholic president. Oh, my God, that was a huge deal to her. Yep. Huge deal. I will never forget it as long as I live. She was she was very, very happy about that. Matter of fact, my mother had a picture of the Pope, yep. of um, of uh, Jesus, of JFK, and Dean Martin. Yeah, Those are the four the same, pictures. Same with my grandmother. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's adorns a number of walls. Yeah. Yep. Any Italian. So there, yeah. I think they sold them as a set. Yeah, they probably they might have sold him as a foursome, uh, a little foursome set there. But so I, I'm glad you pointed that out, uh, Thomas. That look at the difference in the past 60 years that have happened. Because I do. I was nine years old when uh, when JFK was elected president of the United States, and I remember being Catholic was really uncomfortable for a kid then because everybody wanted. What's the deal with you Catholics? What's that all about? There was a lot of there was a lot of hubbub back then. You guys are probably too young to remember that, obviously. Some of you weren't born, but it was it was really weird having a Catholic president in 1960. Yeah. I wasn't born. I don't want to hear about it, Thomas. Were you born? <laughs> probably not. No. Nobody was born. I was the only one alive, Thomas. We're 1960. Don't remember uh, no, any of that. Uh, yeah, Reagan baby here. 
But I was I am a, <laughs> I am a history freak, so I did have watched plenty of video on his inauguration mm. and the whole thing about him getting attacked to be Catholic and the Pope yep. thing. I, I, I've seen it all. But, like Joe Biden carries a rosary, you know, and he you does. think about yeah, how far does. we've come and, and in those funny, in that time. We're, we're, we're probably Christianity is probably being attacked more in the United States than ever in history oh, of the United States than ever. Yeah, yeah. than ever. Yeah. And so, what good's that? If you're a Christian, you are smashed in this country. But he's right president now. of the United States. No, but he is. But what about us? Why? Well, right, yeah. but don't care about him. <laughs> That's well. More I, me I can't now. say I'm Christian. Yeah. I can't say I'm Christian. Why you not? Get, oh, you get trashed, man. You, you just said me? it. You just said know, it on the podcast. You, you get trashed on social media. I get attacked Look, all the time. if this were a month ago, I would say Merry Christmas because there's no war on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. There's no war on Christmas. I love it. I love it, Thomas. That works for me. And I, I, I just think the whole thing is uh, it's a much better place we are. And, and, and I, I, I do really have a feeling, though, that if there is an argument, we like to overuse that argument to pit people against one another. And I really wish we would stop doing that because it's very, very harmful. I think the race thing in America right now is nowhere near as severe. I think there is a war on poor people, not just poor black people, but poor all poor people. They have a huge problem in America. It's much more of a poor issue than it is a skin color issue. That's that's my view because I grew up in a very poor, uh, you know, mixed race neighborhood, and I watched it back then, and I still see it today. Yeah, and, and to put a word on it, Tom, that's class. Yep. As Americans, yeah. we sometimes yep. like to think yep. class isn't a factor in our society, but you go to any other country in the world, they're they're far more conscious. I mean, the British are all have a really stratified class standing to a degree that we would find unacceptable here, but I think our society has done the opposite. We have made class something, we've tried to make it invisible. We've tried to make it a non-factor, and I feel like right. we acknowledge those disparities and, and, and attempt to overcome class differences, yeah, I think you're, you're onto something. You know, I'm going to hang out with you more often, even though I'm old enough to be your dad, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was we a Reagan take one baby, more break. too, so hey. That's right. You and you and Thomas Bolsersky are yes. both Reagan babies. We shall take a break. One more segment, Thomas. You got one more segment in you? I, I waited four years for this moment. I can wait another <laughs> for <you. laughs> We'll be right back with the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common-sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com because life is expensive enough. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. 
Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thomas Bolserski, our special guest, presidents who snubbed their successors. You can find uh, Thomas J. Bolserski uh, at uh, Amazon.com, a native of New Jersey. Where, where in New Jersey did you grow up, Thomas? Yeah, you mentioned growing up uh, Catholic in the, n- the suburbs of Minneapolis. That would be me in Bergen County, New Jersey, town of Ramsey. Okay. Well, rich kid, rich kid. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I had to tease you, Thomas. What do you think? I'll, t- I'll take that one. Thomas Bolserski received his Ph.D. in history from Cornell University and is presently a professor of history at Eastern Connecticut State University. Can I ask you, this is a bit off topic, Thomas, but I'm really fascinated by this because, you know, you're, what are you, in your mid-middle 30s, upper 30s, somewhere in there? I'll start using that, yeah, upper, I like that. Upper upper 30s. The greater 30s. The greater 30s. Um... What does it feel like to be a professor at a you know at a, a major school, major university, Eastern Connecticut State University? A lot of people are not too happy right now with our college system because it thinks we're turning out uh, basically sheep that believe anything someone tells them. Is there that feeling in the in the world of academia that I don't know? Maybe some of these people are getting a little too carried away with all this. Do you think that's true? I think that that's part of the messaging I'm hearing from right-wing radio commentators. Yeah. So don't be one of them. Um, I, I don't believe it. I'm not. <laughs> Listen I, to you. <laughs> I, I don't believe it for a minute. I can't even get my kids to do their homework. Uh, what kind of power oh, do you think okay. I have over them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it wasn't a power issue. I'm just saying that it's that whole, again, victim argument that, oh, you got to do this, you got to take on the man. That whole, you know, that whole, if we, if we must do it by force, we'll do it by force. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was never a fan of that, reading about it when I was a kid. I, I did a lot of reading as a young child in that whole area, and I just thought, hey, settle down, mm-hmm. relax, everything's good. It's really an honor and a privilege to work at any university, but particularly a state institution. I mean, we're proud of the fact right. that our tuition is some of the most reasonable you get. It's about uh, 5000 uh, for for a student in state to attend. And I think that's, that's the whole point, is to make education affordable. And between the community colleges and the state universities across this country, that's how m- most students today attend state universities. And I think we need to remember that. No question. And Thomas, you're one of my favorite people now because you said to me, you said, no, nah, don't be one of those guys. <laughs> As I a, like that a lot, Thomas. Have you have you talked much or written much about uh, like the statues that have come down? And as a historian looking at that as far as the changes? Ooh, good question. Yeah, I think to kind of put, it, put a fine point on it, Confederate monument removal and Confederate statue removal, uh, it, it's part of actually a longer debate also with the Confederate flag itself, and it was really sad for me personally to know that a civil war was fought that kept that Confederate flag out of our capital for four years, and then in the breach of two weeks ago, uh, that picture of that man holding the flag desecrating 
of the Capitol. Right. It, for me, um, there's a line to be drawn. And in public spaces, in spaces that are taxpayer-funded, that are spaces declared for the people, I don't believe that, that Confederate monuments belong in those spaces. I'm all for private cemeteries mm-hmm. and other places of reflection to continue to memorialize the dead. But to celebrate a lost cause, to celebrate a cause that, that to me, was evil and fought for slavery, that, I draw a line there. I certainly understand, and I feel the same way. When I saw that guy carrying the Confederate flag in the Capitol, I'm like, what are you doing? Good God. Are people that stupid, or are they just that angry? What is, what's, what's the real... Are they both? They're stupid angry. and angry. Uh, anger, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call into question someone's uh, intelligence. It's more that they're, they're fed up and they're tired of it. Um, and, and that anger and that division that's been stoked, that unfortunately is not a new part of the American political tradition. It's been used by many mm-hmm. politicians for gain uh, and to get the vote out and to suppress the vote. And indeed, um, what we hope will happen is that kind of anger will subside. This whole message of unity that we're hearing now from the new president is about quelling that anger, about trying to find a way forward with that guy who, who, who might be tempted to do something like that and someone who would, would fight to stop him. I love that, uh, if we can get that done. I mean, I, again, I, it, in my view, both sides are guilty of keeping this this festering wound, <laughs> keeping it keeping it open. I, I really wish that both extremes, way right and way left, would kind of just melt away. If we could, if we, I don't know if we'll ever have total unity in, until we can get those two elements to kind of simmer down quite a bit. Because they, man, they like to yammer a lot, don't they? Well, social media has made the proliferation of misinformation one of the, the three viruses now facing this country, to put a fine point on mm-hmm. it. It's not just the coronavirus. It's also the issue of misinformation, and I think the third one is racism. Um, they're, they're insidious, and it has to be stamped out at every opportunity. I think, honestly, of the three, we're going to stamp out this COVID crisis before the other two, but that's still a project for the next four years. Do you think we're ever going to stamp out racism, though? I mean, maybe if you genetically engineer yeah. humans to think. What about what about the, all the countries that still have slaves? That slavery right. still going yeah. on? Yeah. Why doesn't anyone yeah. talk about that? There's, there's. I travel all over the world. Uh, this is the farthest oh, from God, the yeah, most racist country in the world. Yeah. Go oh, to I, go to Japan. Go to Australia and be black and see what happens to you. It's yep. the whole different story. We are not the most racist country in the world. No, That's no. not even close. Yeah. And there's plenty of countries that still have slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But I, I just think the idea of us stamping out racism it, it isn't going to happen. It's an impossible yeah. thing. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. How much of that, Thomas, is... I mean, a topic. Thomas, how much of that is tribalism rather than racism? Is, is that a big element or is it not? I think it's an interesting point. Uh, the tribalism came up a lot during this election as a kind of criticism for how right. our politics was divided. And it gets back to something we were talking about in the last segment, which is, what are the tribes? How are we actually dividing? If it's just around political party, I mean, that's sort of fun and game. But if it's around these substrata issues, particularly class between rich and poor, I, I think those divisions are real, and they have to be acknowledged. I think part of it is, though, not too, too willingly accepting these divisions as dividing us. In other words, trying to move beyond them, trying to ameliorate them, trying to find a way where everyone sort of is under the big tent. That, that's, that's, I think, where tribalism can be given the lie, is that since we all are Americans and since we all are, are part of this same great country, maybe that alone, maybe that patriotism alone, as I watch images of a, a, a fife and, and drum corps walk through the Capitol, maybe that's going to be what brings us together. 
you know, uh, very, very quickly, and, and uh, everybody else in the show, please be patient with this because you've heard this already. But many, many years ago, uh, at the age of 39, I took up golf. I had never golfed in my life, but, you know, things were going well, so I took up golf. And I joined a golf course in town. It was a very nice golf course. Um, and I was, two things happened to me within the first month that I was there. Now, I'm, I am a, a white guy. Grew up in a very poor neighborhood. Uh, my mother raised seven kids. We had no money. I mean, it was we were destitute. No question about it, right? So <clears throat> I'm walking along the second fairway with one of the richer uh, people. A lot of very, very wealthy people at this golf course. And he comes over to me, puts his arm around my shoulder. It was very, very nice. And he meant to be very pleasant and very nice. He puts his arm around my shoulder and he goes, Tom... I want you to know how happy we are to have you as a member of our club right now. It's great to have you here. Let's face it, we needed some diversity. And I looked at him like, okay, diversity. So he, but he meant to be nice. He didn't mean it like, you're less than I am. That's not what he meant at all. But he saw it as a, a, a diversity issue. Uh, there was another guy, very, very wealthy guy, who went around to all of the members and said, if Tom causes you any problems, just let me know because we'll get rid of him because let's be honest, he's not one of us. So if people think it's only a a skin color thing, I am living proof that it's not just skin color. Uh, If you're a poor kid and they find out, you got problems. Not with everybody, but with some people. That's just a fact. We have to look at that part of it too. They literally thought that I was lesser than they were. A lesser being, even though I was white, I'm you know I'm pretty much every European, uh, you know, descendant that that you can. I could, my family comes from every everywhere in Europe. And you know? and you're clean and articulate. I am very clean and articulate, <laughs> Thomas. Did you hear that? I want you. Did well, you that's I what Biden said about Obama. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That, I forgot that, about that. That's, that's memory like an elephant, is what that is. <laughs> it's a great line, mm-hmm. though. He's so clean and articulate. That ah, was good. But do you, do you see that, Thomas? I mean, looking back at history, people, I wish they would teach that it's not just about this, yeah. that, or the other thing, that it's about I, you are not like me, therefore I have to be wary of you. Yeah, I think that's a really poignant story, Tom, and thanks for sharing here. To me, it gets Thank to you. the many layers, though, of privilege, you know? We hear this phrase, white privilege, a lot. It's, it is yep, real. Yep. I'm not, not going to stop, sit here and defend it. And yet, class privilege is real, as too. Oh, um, God, gender yes, privilege. absolutely. So to your point, I think the problem is we want sometimes to harp in on, on the one thing. And, it, and in fact, it's all the things at once. Yes, yes. No, I think it's a very, very good point. Um, just one other question, then I'll turn it over to everybody else, because you only got about five minutes left. But, and I'm very serious about this. Did you have really good parents? Do you have really good parents? Uh, yeah, yeah, did and do. Yes, they're both alive and well, still living in Ramsey. Wonderful. Uh, I appreciate. I mean, I appreciate that. Yes, I did. I, I, I mean, um, growing up the way I did, going to public school and then going on to college and now teaching. I was I was in the Boy Scouts. I mean, I, I took on a, a mantra in my life that you have to live to serve others. I think it's wonderful. And you could really tell that your parents really supported you. And uh, my takeaway from it, unless you're a really good actor, because I've always found when people have that one little hitch in their deal, the fact that you were so so patient uh, with a lot of questions, because a lot of people I would ask those questions, they would go, I don't really want to talk about that. You said, no, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just go forward with that. 
but I, I can always tell when somebody's come from a pretty solid family because if they got a kind of hitch in their get along, so either mom or dad didn't hug them enough. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those deals, you know. <laughs> so there's all that to deal with as well. But I, I just I like your take on it. Um, you, you you talk about things. Let me put it this way, Thomas. When you talk about things like uh, like white privilege. And you talk about race, you talk about all these different things. You do it in a very even keel way where it's, yes, it does exist. We, we're going to have to learn to deal with it. But it's not like, oh, my God. You know, you don't go over the deep end about it. The way you approach it, I think, is very good. It's very helpful for your students. I can guarantee you that. Well, uh, you, you, you get more honey with sugar than vinegar. Well, I don't know. You better tell the American public that. that I'll tell you. Yeah. There's not been a lot of sugar. No, there has not. Uh, tell the lately. media that. Yeah, the media. Okay. How about yeah. honey media? Yeah, tell the media that. The honey media would be great. What do you think of the media, Thomas? <laughs> Other uh, than this show. Don't, me- don't mention this show. <laughs> no, I've become adjacent to it. I mean, doing some of these interviews, writing for different platforms, I've... You'd be shocked the kind of vitriol I get, uh, sometimes an email or comments or phone calls left on my voicemail. There are a lot of angry people out there, and, and media is a platform. Yeah. I wish it were more neutral. I wish it could be the great marketplace for ideas, but I agree with you that bias has become a problem within our media. Oh, there's no question about that. And I, I uh, in 2013, Thomas, I, I do a morning show in town as well. We'd love to have you. I should have them reach out to you. I'd love to have you on the morning show as well. It does. It's a very. Uh, it, the show does very well, but I. I just. Um, God, I was just thinking about that. I got to have somebody reach out to you. That's a good plan, don't you think? Well, if you can get me up, I mean, I'm gonna time. Remember. <laughs> oh, you big baby. <laughs> it's an hour later. Yeah, it's an hour later. It's an hour so later. it's an hour, hour later. later. I just lost that argument. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so you only have to wake up at five. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to get up at 5 in the morning. Yeah. You know, basically, Thomas, what you just said is you went, well, Tom, I don't like you that much. <laughs> I mean, basically, basically, that's what you just said to me, which, which works for me. You know, I, I just I just like the way you approach the situations. I like talking to you. I learned a lot from you today. Uh, somebody so even keel. And again, it's not in a candy-ass way that you're even keel. It's just you have your opinions, you have your thoughts, you have your views, but you're very even keel about, okay, well, let me listen to what you have to say, and then I'll make a judgment. Not many people will do what you do, Thomas. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice sentiment. I I grade a lot of student papers, so I'm good at getting feedback. (laughs) That is a good thing. Thomas, we would love to talk to you again soon. You don't mind, I'll, I'll reach out to you about being on the morning show, but we'd love to have you back on this show, too. I really, really like your attitude about everything. All right, well, thanks for having me on this special day. Absolutely, sir. Have a great day, Thomas. Thomas J. Balserski, B-A-L-C-E-R-S-K-I. You can reach him at Amazon.com slash Thomas dash J dot Balserski. So that'll be, I, I thought he was a terrific guy. What a nice man. He's great. He really was terrific. And and no matter what you said to him, he just went, well, you know, I loved his take on the whole thing. We I, need I more college professors lot, like actually. him. <laughs> Why? What did I you? Mean, I could have said I didn't want to, you know. Yeah, but, I mean. I mean, I argue? want to ask, why is every single college professor a hardcore Democrat? Every single one. 
They're in, in his All school, 100%. 100%. In his, in his school, 100%. 100%. I, 100%. I'd say it's more like 80%. You think 80%. there's a Republican pet fresher in that school? I would bet there is. You're crazy. I'd say 80%. I, I You're living there. in a bubble, man. Uh, well. Go to university. You go to any big university. Well, that's yeah. the thing is he's not at an Ivy League university. No, he's not. But he's, no, he's Ivy in League a public, has, he's They in don't a public, even public, let a, pub, a Republican come speak. I, the bands, the property. At, at his university, that's happened. Yes. You know that. Yes. <laughs> okay. So he, Nick you knows know that. that. He's, yes. he's researched yes. that, that college extensively. That. Yes. So. This is his favorite college. Is that true? They've had oh, they've they, had Republicans they, turned away from his school. Oh, I don't know about at that college, Absolutely. but a lot of colleges I, have. I know that's happened Almost at school. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that's happened, that's happened on both sides at different times. Well, I, it, I, I disagree with it. I think that you should let people speak. But that being said, it's happened on both sides. What there's been there's been all sorts of there's been there's all been sorts Republican of Republican college not let Democrats speak. There has there has been. Well, I'm sure in oh, the past. Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you this example. Okay, Case Case University wouldn't allow their debate team to use certain uh, debate materials because they were considered liberal materials. So there's schools that have done those things that are just wrong. When was Oral this? Roberts does this. When I was in debate uh, in college, well, Oral Roberts, yeah, Oral Roberts. Roberts does it. But but they they that has happened. That doesn't. I mean it's right and i don't agree with it i'm not well, saying that well, it's now right college is trying to cancel anyone out who ever was a republican i mean you're just going after you yeah you're that's t- true you're not taking away your, your degree yeah really I mean, they are it's ridiculous anyone who you're supported t- trump th- has to have their degree taken away that's like that's ridiculous I, I, who's they doing that, that. Oh, who's, oh, who, 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 who's doing yeah. that there's Harvard, a, a group Harvard. of yeah but the student uh government body so or whatever the hell we're, we're gonna worry about one a group of people of college students doing that. I mean, Harvard it's, college it's, students... It's a big deal. You want to talk about privilege, Harvard right. students. Yeah, and they're, okay. They're, they're if privileged people wing. being bad is the worst thing in the world, then Harvard students being bad would qualify as, you know, something yeah, to worry about. I, I think they're kids get. doing kids' things. Mm. School so. backs it, man. I oh. don't know that Harvard backs it. They have take, not taken anybody's... anybody's Privileges away from supporting you don't Trump. Think Harvard as a whole is biased. I, oh, absolutely, they're biased. Of course, they're biased. They're all biased. That's the thing. Uh, every Yale. everybody. If you get down to that, everybody's biased. You're biased. I'm biased. Yeah, We're have, biased in all different ways. They have the power ways. and the money of China. They do it's have a lot of power it. and money. Yeah. That's the thing. So they should never have been allowed to get that big. No. That's the thing. No, I, their endowment shouldn't have been that it's, big. Them, yeah. Them Tom, <laughs> this show is turned into a Tom Bernard man. They need to turn uh-huh. I hear Tom gets a Let whole just, lot of federal money. Yeah, Tom Bernard and these college yeah, men, he's trying to wrap millions it up. of dollars. Boy, look at the time. <laughs> 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 we'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. See you guys. Right. Thanks.